Okay, critical first question I ask every guest. Are you a fan of In-N-Out or Five Guys? Oh, man. Well, I'm going to... I'm going to have to show my roots a little bit here and have to go with five guys. Um, I think that, that in and out got oversold to me as a, as a new Southern Californian, um, much like the, the movie that was said, there's never been a better one. It's never going to live up to if you've got that kind of hype early. I think I got a little too much hype early on. Well, you're a rarity in the podcast. Everyone likes in and out. There's a few that, a few go five guys, but we'll, uh, We'll give you a, we'll let this one slide by as a new Californian. I appreciate that. Welcome to season two of 10 questions with 10 pastors brought to you by Gateway Seminary with your host, Tyler Sanders. I'm with Will Browning, who is a Sin City missionary with NAM uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, you've been doing that for about two years. Is that right? That's right. And previously, you were pastor of Journey Church uh, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. You also planted that church. That's correct. Uh, so my, my first real question here is just, uh, I was just hoping you can tell us how you met Jesus. Oh, wow. Well, kind of an unusual spot for me. I grew up in a nominal Christian home, uh, went to college, uh, joined a fraternity. And I had a fraternity brother who had spent the entire summer praying that one guy in the fraternity would come to know Christ that he could hand it off to as he was leaving school. And uh, I guess I happened to be the person that God had in mind. And uh, I heard the gospel clearly for the first time uh, while going to church all my life, but really hearing the gospel clearly for the first time uh, in college through this fraternity brother and gave my life to Christ in my dorm room. January 31st of 1996, Georgia Southern University, room 44 of Oxford Hall, which is now destroyed. Uh, so, yeah, that was that's how I came to know Christ in college. And how did you get from there to Los Angeles? Wow. Well, I don't want to bore the, the listeners too much here because it's a long story. But if I could put it in just a few words, uh, you know, our church was a church that was really focused in on church planting. Um we did our best to serve faithfully inside the uh, the big family that is the SBC, and that just kind of kept us connected to NAM. Um, I had a friend that I went to seminary with, um, had kind of kept us connected through the church planting movement from NAM, and then what was happening at our local church. And he called me up and said, "Will, would you be willing to pray about leading a church planting movement in America's most influential city?" And uh, what he didn't know is that just a few months prior to that, my wife had heard directly from the Lord that there was a big change coming. Now, I thought that she probably just needed to, like, paint a room or, you know, buy some new furniture. That's what I thought the big change was going to be in her heart. Um, but uh, after much prayer and a lot of tears leaving the church that we had planted, been there for 14 years, kind of gotten through all the hard stuff. And here we are now getting to the good times and the Lord saying, I got another big mission for you. Um, but uh, we wanted to be the people who were willing to uh, uh, give our lives to something that would um, ultimately be a big yes on the table. You know, we, I think too often people uh, give God a, a gift card kind of faith uh, rather than a blank check. A blank check is God 
whatever you ask, however much, and wherever you want me to write the check to. But a gift card, Faith, is this is where you can spend it, and this is how much you can spend it. And we wanted to be a family that was willing to to not be a gift card type of faith. God, you spend us however you want to spend us. So we said yes, um, packed our lives out, uh, packed our lives up, and came out to Los Angeles. And could you tell me a little bit about what your work is like now? Like, what's a typical day for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, Sin City Missionary. My mom can't even explain what that means. Um, uh, basically, uh, my job is to be the chief strategist for church planting for all of Los Angeles through the ministry of the North American Mission Board, which is SIN Network, is our network of church planting. But basically what we're doing as a team is identifying church planters, assessing those church planters, training them, coaching them, investing in them, and then caring for them. And we're just kind of running that play again and again. Right now we have 83 church planters that are part of SIN LA that are you know, churches planted in the metro area of Los Angeles. Uh, so that's kind of the, the rhythm that we're running with each church planter. What are you reading right now? Yeah, I, one of the things I enjoy about social media and following friends is I got some friends who post books and they'll just sort of say, I found there's no book to read that someone didn't suggest. Just picking something usually is a disappointment. If you wait to receive something that someone suggested. So I'm always looking and listening. Probably the reason why you're asking the question on the podcast <laughs> is to give some suggestions, but uh, just started a book called uh, Rembrandt in the Wind. Um, it's basically like, how do you look at art through the lens of faith? Um, pretty interesting read, uh, enjoyed it so far. And then um, also I've been uh, reading this book called uh, Put an X Through Anxiety. Uh, famous pastor, Louis Giglio, uh, anxiety has been something I've, I've dealt with all my life. So, um, you know, one's kind of challenging me intellectually, creatively, and the other one's kind of helping me out when it comes to my own personal struggles. I've got a couple of preaching questions for you. And I, uh, you know, I understand this may have changed a little bit for you. So, you know, feel free to answer from like perspective of when you were you know, leading a church or maybe now, like how you're, how you're approaching preaching, you know, when you go to, you know, visit a variety of churches now, and I'm sure you're, you're preaching all the time still, uh, but it's kind of a two-parter. So, so the first one is what's your big picture approach to preparing a sermon, whether that be like a, a series or like, you know, finding themes, what, what's your big picture approach? You know, I've always kind of felt different than most of my friends that were doing preaching ministry. I'm a pretty methodical, planned out kind of person. So for me, it always began with a, a week, an annual retreat where I would write out 52 weeks plan for sermons. Usually that was sermon series, uh, topic of the sermon, scripture, and then an order of how we would you know, use our communicators that are in our church. So that meant for me, I kind of had to put everything into groupings throughout the year, I found that if I finished a quarter, at the end of that quarter, took a day to start thinking about that same quarter the next year, I could kind of go, okay, what was good about this first quarter? What did our people need to know? The second quarter's got Easter in it. What do I need to be thinking about as we're going into summer? And what that did for me is I spent zero time every week trying to figure out what I was going to preach on, which I found a lot of guys can waste maybe even half of their sermon planning time just with that, but you know, scratch that out. Um, then I would take the series that we had and um, we were usually doing one of two things. 
we were either doing exposition through a book or we were doing exposition topically. Now, what I would mean by that is if we're dealing with a topic, we're answering that from one passage in the word. And we might jump off for some cross references, but it doesn't mean one central passage. So again, if we were dealing with anxiety, you know, we're dealing with that from one passage and then maybe using some cross references so that we stayed inside the expositional frame. Um, so uh, what that meant for me um, was right before we'd have our series, I would get our entire staff together and I would give a five minute overview of what I wanted to do in each of these sermons in that series. Um, and if we we're preaching through a book, you know, we're preaching through Acts, we'd break it into you know, parts of six or parts of ten. Um, and then change it as we would go with different series titles, but it's still just walking through the book of Acts. But I would preach that in like a five minute set. Like here's five minutes of this first sermon. Here's five minutes of the second sermon. And I would just ask my staff, like, what would you see us doing if we were having a Sunday like this? Um, and what it did is it created an excitement and anticipation from the staff that they could like, oh, I know where this is going. I know what's coming up um, now. That's ultra planned out in comparison to a lot of people. Um, but for me, I can actually reduce my anxieties by having some of those things in place and then focus more of my attention on studying. Um, so, I, I, you know, so series, yes. Themes, yes. Exposition, absolutely. Um, but probably the key components for me was just trying to stay ahead of it so I could best use my time. Well, and the next question is, is, uh, I think it follows that line of thought. What was your like week to week actual sermon prep? Like, like it seems like you had a lot of a pretty good amount of the details worked out ahead of time. So what was it like whenever you were getting ready for that next Sunday? Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> I had somebody challenge me with an idea that I started with just one Bible college student. And then it actually grew into something that I'm really passionate about when it comes to sermon prep. And that was, I created a sermon prep team. Um, because I had already come up with the main theme for a sermon, because I presented it to our staff beforehand for their input, I could get a group of people together and say, hey, here are the four points that I'm gonna do this Sunday, it's six weeks out, but will you take next week and just look at these three verses? And just tell me if you got one good idea for those three verses. Every Tuesday morning, that group would get together and I would ask them, what's your one good thing? Don't give me three. We would call it a hammer. Like, you know, you're going to knock somebody out. You know, Thor's hammer. Like, you're going to give me that one moment in the sermon that really hits people. Give me that one moment. I would take notes on that. Um, and then uh, I would go from that meeting to my study, uh, which is actually off off campus, off of our offices. And I would spend the entire day doing nothing but sermon planning. Um, my goal was to not finish the day on Tuesday until the sermon was written because, because I was writing six weeks in advance and we were doing um, video as part of our as a multi-site. So video is a part of our life. I had to preach the sermon every Thursday. So I'm writing a sermon that's six weeks out but on Thursday, I got to pick up the sermon I wrote six weeks earlier and deliver it to a camera um, just in case things went bad. Now, most guys can't discipline themselves to do that. Um, 
but I would say the best way to improve as a preacher today, like how could I get 20% better today? There's a way to do that. And that is to preach your sermon one time before you stand up on the stage to give it to your people. We all know that eight o'clock service, if you're doing two services, never gets the good one. The 11 o'clock service give it, gets the good one. Well, we were at a time we were doing four services. Um, and I started thinking, is it good stewardship for me as a pastor to know that there's a group of people who get my worst sermon? So what I started doing is I gave my worst sermon uh, to the camera and hoped that it would never get used, you know, because it's really right. just a backup. So uh, and the only people who really heard that one was uh, usually it was my assistant and the and the production team leader. And uh, I kind of trained them to be really good feedback givers and feel safe to tell me I didn't work and this didn't feel good so that no one got the bad one. Um, I think anybody could improve today by 20 percent by just deciding. I'm going to take an hour or 30 minutes and I'm going to preach the sermon out loud to a room every, every week. You'll get better by 20% just by doing that. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a really good, that would, I think that's a really powerful practice, you know, to, to be disciplined to do. Now, what's like the most difficult passage or topic you've preached on? <laughs> well, my, my staff about every four years would convince me that this was worth doing again, but it would take me four years to like decide that it would, that I could uh, rebound from the pain before, but doing like a question series of some sort. Um, you know, we did a question series where it's like, you know, how does faith and science um, work together? You know, addressing issues of sexuality, if it's intimacy in the marriage or uh, the way that culture is shaping sexuality. And um, usually my staff wanted us to end that with a Q&A time. Um, when the church was a little bit smaller, that felt fine. The bigger the church, the more of a target you are to for someone to get you to say something you shouldn't say. Um, now, those series were great. People loved them. I even point people back to them. I thought, I thought it was good work, but it was really hard work to take a passage. You know, if you're preaching through the book of John and to take the next passage, do your, do your expositional work for it. There's effort in that. But being ready for a big question um, that you know has, can be taken a thousand different ways um, was always just so much work. When my team would always go, man, that was so good. Our people love that. Can we go back and do that again? And I would always kind of take me some years to like get back to it. Um, but I would say some of those were the, the most difficult or dealing with some of the big questions that people have. Yeah, I think it's really bold to uh, take questions after, uh, after a sermon. That's tough. I imagine that's brutal <laughs> or it could be brutal. Uh, so let's let's talk about some roles and responsibilities in ministry. Like, why don't you tell me something you feel like is a sweet spot kind of for you, like as a real easy gifting, you know, or strong gifting and maybe a spot that's kind of a growing edge. Yeah. Um, I'd say two strengths. One of them you probably could get just by the beginning of this conversation. Long term planning, you know, having a vision, keeping everybody focused on that vision I don't get, I don't get sidetracked as much as other guys do. Like, you know, Ooh, there's a new thing. Let's go that direction. I'm probably a little, a little too stubborn. Um, so long-term planning was always a strength for me. 
And the job that I do right now, while this isn't the major part of my job, like if I do this all the time, I won't be successful. But if the thing I'm best at is, is helping a leader who's stuck get unstuck, um, sitting down with somebody who's like, I just don't know what to do next. Can you help me think this through? Uh, some people might call that coaching. Some might call it mentoring. Um, I just say when a, when a guy's stuck, if it's a ministry leader, if it's a pastor, if you know somebody was on my staff, I just don't know what to do next. I feel like sitting down with someone, helping them think that stuff through and getting unstuck before they leave is probably one of those sweet spots for me. I don't get to do it all the time, but um, I feel like I'm most helpful and maybe even more most energized in those moments. Um, now, in those kind of conversations, are you helping people deal with, is that kind of like uh, like on, you're helping them kind of think through things on a, on a personal level or like the future of their ministry? What, what exactly does that look like? I think in its best place is professionally. I mean, um, if we get too personal, then it's, it, it, now, if I have a, a gentleman who's like trying to figure out like how do I get in shape or how do I uh, how do I set some goals, I can I feel like I can do that pretty well. But the place that I enjoy doing it the most is professionally. You know, minister who's like we're struggling to figure out what discipleship path we should make, or mm. I'm trying to figure out how to do preaching in a way that it doesn't wear me out. And I'm going to do this for the next forty years, but it's wearing me down. How do I? Um, those sorts of, I'm yeah. stuck. I don't know what to do. I, I love those conversations. Yeah. I'd say swing and miss for me, kind of those moments that it's like, or even like regrets, I would say. Um, I, I look back at my pastoral ministry. I think I had a good, strong personal prayer life. Hmm. But I don't look back at seeing how I led our church to be a powerful place of prayer publicly and that could like, have been as easy like as letting them in. the community kind of just prayer being more than a transition of uh, mm. musicians on and off the stage you know right. prayer being more than that thing that you do to start or end the sermon but like really teaching our people how to pray um uh, i don't i don't even know if like weekly prayer gatherings if i would have I don't even know what I would say I'd go back to, but I feel this conviction that I taught people how to study the word well. I don't know if I taught people how to pray well. And I look back at that as a as a swing and miss. I'd, I'd love to have another chance to do that. Well, this is kind of related to that, I think, because it's about looking back. So uh, you're, you're a graduate of Southern and Southeastern Seminary. Mm-hmm. What do you think a student going through seminary, like what's something that you have to get in seminary or, or maybe I should put it this way. What's something that a student shouldn't leave seminary without? Like what's that critical thing a student needs to get out of seminary? All right. I'm going to answer the question in reverse, but hopefully still answer the question. I watched too many of my seminary friends leave with only classroom experience um, and, and it's really hard to get hired after with just classroom experience. I also had friends who had only ministry experience and no classroom experience. And I think they were weaker for it. Um, I was forced into serving at a local church while I was doing seminary. 
And it was the greatest gift of learning that I had because everything I was learning in my mind had a real life person to apply it to tomorrow. Um, so if I'm, if I'm, if I think of, I'm answering the question, the way you're asking it, it would be, how do you pair learning with ministry? Another thing that I had the opportunity is because I was serving underneath a pastor. I had a chance to make mistakes with counsel, not only of the pastor, but of professors. And I'm sure that I made some mistakes like underneath the care of leaders that prepared me better to not make those mistakes as a pastor now by myself leading a church, you know, away from seminary uh, now as a, a senior pastor myself. So pairing learning with ministry not only is going to make you more employable, but I think it's going to make you better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. Uh, my last question, um, if you could, what advice would you give yourself as a you know first year pastor? Mm. Wow. Well, I get to do this one often. You know, church planners are usually first year pastors, so um, this is a this is a question I've been thinking about a lot lately, and we're investing in these guys. Um, I would say this: the the greatest quality that you're going to need to be successful is perseverance. I remember being in my first seminary class, Professor Chuck Lawless, intro to ministry class, when he said, look around the room, gentlemen, 80% of you will not be doing ministry 20 years from now. Unfortunately, he was right. Wow. I think what the application of learning could have been at that moment was, so learn to persevere because pain is coming. Disappointment's coming. People not doing what they said they're going to do trouble with staff just there's i think the biggest quality we need is the ability to be steadfast in the midst of pain um that'd be the that would be like the the great quality um then i would say surprisingly the thing that you're going to find you connect with people the most on um is actually your lived experiences so if you went through uh, parents that were divorced, you're actually going to leverage that life in a way that is being redeemed. If yeah. you've gone through physical ailments, challenges, you're going to actually leverage those. So recognize that everything that you've gone through is now going to be the way that you connect with people to see their life change because now you have a testimony, not just information to deliver. So lean into that, lean into You've got you've got life experiences. That's how you're going to connect with people. So so don't be scared of that. Live openly. Uh, live a life of transparency. This generation can smell a fraud, um, you know, fast. Uh, this, they've just seen so much of it, and they can also smell authenticity pretty fast. So if you're an authentic leader who's leading from your lived experiences, willing to persevere through pain. People want to follow that leader. I think that's a, that's good. That's really good. I've done that a little, little moving myself right now. That was fantastic. Will, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. 